when your own players have to send you a letter about how much you suck. <laughs> it's that's so MLS. Ooh. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello. The the that's a little bit of that's so NWSL, which is yeah. you know reflecting the the Steve Baldwin thing, which is the the most recent you know step in the 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 whirlwind of NWSL happenings that have taken place in the last uh, two weeks. Yeah, the ongoing unraveling of uh, what happens when the lies start to add up and all the people who protected people in power start to uh, jump ship. It reminds me a little bit, um, I'm a pro wrestling fan in in June of 2020. That was like, I think, like, you know, a couple of weeks, months into the pandemic, there was this, this um, like, just a whirlwind, essentially, of, of people coming forward with stories of um, of having been sexually abused or sexually harassed at shows and having to, like, like and those stories involve, like, opening the door for other people to bring out more stories. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been as, as, it hasn't been as much... As, and as fast as the speaking out movement, um, but with one, of, but uh, I think whether or not you you talk about it as the start of the Richie Burke allegations of verbal harass, harassment in the Washington Spirit that hit him with the club, or if you um, if you tie it directly to the the September thirtieth article in the Athletic, which honestly, from the way that that headline was written, I thought it was about the Spirit mm-hmm. in the Athletic by by. Uh, by Meg Linehan that um that you know this guy has a pattern mid institutional failure former NWSL players accused prominent coach of sexual coercion and I you know was it was early in the day for me and I was reading that I, I had cracked that article open mm-hmm. thinking that it was going to have to do something have something to do with the with the Washington Spirit mess and then to find out that it was Paul Riley, the former Portland Timbers coach, um, Western New York Flash slash um, Carolina Courage coach, um, who had been accused of, um, I think a lot. Like, how do you boil it down to? How do you boil it down to just one thing? But it was the story, essentially, of um, coercive uh, sexual relations and. A really sort of harassing, controlling atmosphere at mm-hmm. um, at the Timbers um, and at the Philadelphia Independence, which was the um, the WPS club that yeah. had existed pre- uh, prior to the NWSL. And there were some pretty serious allegations of the way that he had treated treated Sinead Fairley and uh, Manashim. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I think that one of the things that has created you know, a big wave in the, the, the ensuing time that same day, Riley was uh, fired from the courage. Um, that happened pretty quick, but I think the number one thing, one of the things that, that jumped out at me the most when that had just happened was, you know, how did he leave the Portland thorns and go to the Western, uh, the, the Western New York flash slash North Carolina Courage organization um, to become one of the league's like protagonist coaches. This is one of the guys that was talked about the most that storylines revolved around. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this in MLS too. And I mean, in multiple leagues where 
it's not like there's not rumors, you know, like when I don't, I'm still baffled by like, what's the critical mass before people actually start believing what players are saying and people can no longer hide behind um, the things that they've done in the past and are denying it just, yeah, it sort of baffles me that this this pattern, as you said, like it happens in professional wrestling. It happens. It happens. It happens in the NHL. It happens everywhere, and it's like the same pattern every time. Where there's allegations very early on. It's not like it's ever. Oh, this just happened. It's like this has been going on for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And then Isn't what's it- been kind of really frustrating to me and I guess we'll get to it but it's sort of like and then you have all these people who in the positions of power could have acted then release this you know flurries of statements talking about how much they value players integrity and honesty and all this stuff but (laughs) are like why does it always have to take 10 years before we get that why couldn't it be the person sticking their neck out in the moment anyway so the it's disappointing on a lot of levels. The the I guess like the brief summary. There's there's a there's a for free version that you can find on the athletic site. Um, but I guess like the 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 short the the the, the spark notes version. I guess if you if you needed it is is that um, basically from 2014. Um, a or basically a player that um the 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 story is told in in the piece by Meg Linehan about how essentially Riley while at the Independence um maintained like a really controlling atmosphere including like trying to be trying to like manipulate how playing time worked so players wouldn't necessarily get national team appearances so that he wouldn't be missing them from the squad as well as like f- having um like parties at his house and like like trying to sort of like create a really insular social network around the team which had included um what fairly Sinead fairly had described as course of sex and then when he went to coach at the thorns and she ended up at a different team in NWSL eventually he traded for that player um and Allegedly, more uh, questionable behavior continued, um, including the. I guess the the second thread. So, like the fairly stuff is like thread one mm-hmm. of this. Thread two is that um, Man of Shim in Portland had come out uh, as gay and then been traded. I think. Um, Essentially, when Shim had Shim had been um, publicly out of the closet, had left the had left the team, and was traded back into the team when Riley um, when Riley was 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 back there. Right. It was had a had a, a conversation with Gavin Wilkinson, the then GM of the of the Timbers and Thorns, where she expected that it was going to be about you know what they expected from her coming back from the you know, coming back to the, for the upcoming season. And he was trying to say, don't talk about your personal life. You know, don't talk about which, which was understood by the player to be, don't talk about LGBT issues. Right. Um, 
And so she had already kind of felt on the edge, and that's something that had been talked about as being like sort of uh, an opportunity for abuse to take place when a player is like constantly being barraged by like extremely positive and extremely negative Mm -hmm. criticism. Yeah. So it's like they are, they, you know, somebody who didn't feel that they had the ability to act in that way. There was the, there was an allegation that then they all got drunk and, uh, he made fairly a Manashim kiss in front of him, which is pretty disturbing. And the, uh, when this was eventually there was this was disclosed um, I think it was through there were discussions I think that involved Alex Morgan in reporting it to the team and there was an internal investigation that looked into just the Manashim part of things and I think this is like the third the third sort of like big chunk of what the allegations are mm-hmm. that then um, his contract was allowed to expire. Um, Merritt Paulson said that that was a uh, that that said in the article that he that, that the investigation was part of why. Although at the time that was definitely not mentioned at all. Wow, and, what a strong stance! <laughs> and he went on to the. Um, went on to the Courage and the Flash where they, uh, the Flash slash the Courage because the team moved where he won, you know, a couple coaches of the years and a couple league titles. That scuttling that sound you hear is uh, rats fleeing the ship deck. And then in this year, after the NWSL brings in its anti-harassment um, yeah, yeah. legislation uh, or new, new policy, um, Morgan and Fairly, and I think Shem are are are, um, are getting to Lisa Baird to like reopen the investigation. I think more. I think it's more Fairly as mm-hmm. much as anyone else. And then um, the um, essentially Baird, the commissioner says, "Well, that was is or is is allegedly says like this. This has been." a closed investigation. We're not looking into it. Mm-hmm. So then when NWSL makes its statement where Lisa Baird says, I was shocked to learn about these new allegations in the athletic. When she was told earlier in 2021, that there were new allegations. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, this is the thing, like the predictability of those kinds of responses that just deny, deny, deny until it's all out in the open and you've run, you've got nowhere left to hide. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I made mistakes. I'm sorry. Like, maybe just start there next time. Save yeah. save the players the anguish of having to relive every single detail to to try to get people to care about and and understand and believe them. What, um... What Linehan's story does a great job of is is contextualizing this in this in this idea that has existed, I guess, since the you know the collapse of leagues like WPS, which was involved in another team that was a show called Magic Jack. Um, the they, like essentially there's sort of a circling of the wagons sometimes mm-hmm. of like, oh, if we want the league to 
it, we can't have any negative press because people are willing to, you know, people are going to just jump all over it. And, it, you know, there have been some outlets that don't cover the MWSL that have jumped all over it. Um, As a result of not dealing with the thing appropriately, like we've, we talked about this yeah. with the Whitecaps, is it's, it's like clearly the, all the teams care about is PR, clearly. But even from that angle, it's way worse PR to to not just address these things when they come up. I mean, yes. what looks better to you? An organization that goes, you know what, we recent news has come to our attention, we've conducted an investigation, we've decided to part ways with et cetera, et cetera, and there will be a full re- investigation coming. Like, it, it, I don't understand it because it's actually pretty easy for people in powerful positions to wipe their hands of people they don't want to deal with. Especially somebody like Baird who wasn't there. Yeah. And was and was, you know, administering an anti harassment program. This would have been this should have been the easiest of slam dunks. Except that it involved a man who was still had been one of the the building blocks of the league's promotion and still was. Because people have this idea that with uh, a policy in place they get to you know trot it out around town and show people what a glorious statement that they have they have against harassment but they figure that then it will just prevent future harassment and everyone will get along and everything will be fine they don't think about it, like policy in terms of actually holding people accountable or making difficult decisions it's purely from a like well we'll we'll make the statement and then just assume everyone will be fine with that and you know no one will do bad things um, I think that the one of the biggest you brought up the Whitecaps thing, and that was the number one first thing that that was my was the Bob Berarda case, which uh, was back in court this week. Um, mm-hmm. I think was put off to another date. Um, it, and as there's been such a reaction to it, you know, I think that we reached the place where, you know, after Baird. Um, left. They had they they postponed games for the weekend. I think maybe that yeah. might have been first. Actually, if I remember, I'm trying I to think remember. So that. I think they postponed the games for that weekend first, and then Baird stepped down that that following more like when or Monday or something. They had three games on Wednesday, and, and um, you know, had the players had the the powerful vision in in all those those games of the players on the six minute. Um, coming together in, in in a ring in the center of the field, mm-hmm. and that is something that they were doing in uh, women's super league today as well in the Tottenham Hotspur game. Um, and and it is something that rightly there have been other you know disclosures in other national teams around the 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 world, and yeah. everybody has been called I think rightly to to make some statement about it, and then you know the Canadian. Federation says, "Oh, we we're here. We we support the players." And people are like, "What? You still haven't apologized yeah. or released the announcement?" Like, you know that Bob Berardo was a was a CSA coach, was a was a national coach. But as again, much as he was a Vancouver Whitecaps coach. It's all just statements. It's the espoused values over having to actually follow up on those values with anything. It's just like. I mean, it's all sickening, but like that's the, that part to me is just as, leaves an especially bitter taste in my mouth. That, that uh, yeah. So, 
So we're left, I guess, with with the trying to people trying to work really work through like how can these power structures be made to be more to to be to protect the players. What what can be done to protect the players better than 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 what had been done previously? Um, you know, you had NWSL owners saying like, you know, I was I'm an owner of this league, so I share part in it, even if it wasn't my team. Um, yeah. And you have the fact that, you know, Deloy Hansen, it wasn't related to the specific issue, but there were workplace problems that he had to, uh, that he had to sell his stake in the NWSL and in MLS teams. And they ended up just moving the team rather than dealing with that. And one of the things that happened on Friday was that Steve Baldwin, who had, you know, been working on a sale, had made a, a, a very overvalued sale offer to Michelle Kang, his co-owner. Um, that's when that's when the wonderful letter from his players came that said, "Sell Michelle is the one we trust." Yeah. Um, the on Friday it was revealed that he had rescinded that offer and now wants to look at selling the team to outside sources, including somebody who would move the t- the franchise. And it's like. It's so frustrating that you that it it has felt a little bit in the case of NWSL issues that like ownership is the struggle, and it was the struggle with this. I'm trying to remember the guy, bef- Bill Walsh, I think was his name. The guy before Steve Baldwin was awful as well. Yeah, are are you saying that uh, millionaires are awful? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I. Billionaires this is my. This is my, you know, this is my pie in the sky thought. Like, I understand that to be a pro sports league, you know, and to make to and to make like good wages and stuff, right? Like to to you know to be held up as the as the number one league, the the tier one league in the in a country. You have to put some investment behind it, but just the the fact that you have to turn to these outside people as opposed to like. You know, what if we had a co-op sports league or something? I know that's pie in the sky, but still. Bill yeah, Lynch was no. the original owner of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, it's um Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean I feel like I'm not adding much to the conversation but it is just exhausting the, the again, the predictability of how these things unfold of of just denial um for any sort of responsibility and I mean, obviously, totally in favor of any proposed changes. My biggest worry is, however, we have exactly what we've had in the past, which is you can make all the changes to policy you want, but if people in the positions of power who have the ability to act, you know, if if they're not going to do it, I don't know what thing that you change. I mean, I think it's positive that so many people are are, are stepping down or, you know, getting fired whatever it is but i just think that ensuring these things don't happen again is a much bigger task than just uh assuming it's uh, as usually as people point to in these things you know a few bad actors like it's it's a network of power that protects each other and it happens as we've seen in so many different professional sports and so many different industries. And I just, I don't know what the, 
the fix to that is beyond building accountability structures where there's more oversight and and maybe there's not such centralized power with just a few individuals i think that's that's got to be part of it you know like to 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 have those sort of things in the open and and just to say like like the people we're responsible to are the people who we're responsible to are our players and our fans you know i know that they're and, and just to try to listen to those people and do right by them. I think that that's, that has to be the, the, to protect players first has to be the, the, the thing that makes this work. Yeah. And like, it's, it's a complicated thing, but it's like, it's not a big ask to, as a bare minimum, protect players from harassment, coercion, and assault in their workplace. No. Like, that that's their demand. The uh, I uh, I got to I got to see a little bit of the Portland uh, Houston game, which was which was great. Portland did not win that game, but it, uh, they got a tremendous Christine Sinclair goal out of it, so that was pretty. That was yeah. pretty good. That's a good one. Um, so it's been. Uh, news filled elsewhere in uh, or do we want to do World Cup or do we want to do MLS first? Where are we going? Let's do MLS first. Let's because a lot a lot of World Cup stuff hasn't World Cup qualifying hasn't uh, Pretty, all kicked off yet. So yeah, and fairly recent as well. So we're gonna go back a bit. Thank you also for bearing with us for a bit of a chill soccer schedule. You know, sometimes you just got to put the reserves out and uh, rest your senior squad members, and we just had a bit of that. But lots of soccer happened. We decided the best way to catch up with things is to talk about the Canadian MLS clubs because we haven't spent a lot of time with Montreal or Toronto recently, or I'm sure you've noticed our commentary has been a little bit uh, lopsided and negative. So, uh, but first, uh, a couple of things news-wise happening in the league. Um, we had another coach get fired. Um, Jack like- Stam. Are we up to one a week yet? Is it like, what's the going? (laughs) Oh, geez. I think the last firing, I sent you some stat that was like, if you started the season as an MLS coach this year, you had a 16% chance of being fired. And that was before Jobstam got fired. Do you think that there's like any, I mean, I know uh, any effects of last year of the pandemic, uh, of, of having a pandemic league in terms of like um, people not wanting to be judged, like you know, people not wanting to judge too hard, like during yeah. a pandemic year. And then you get like to this point in the playoffs, like, well, we can't wait two years. Yeah. Which I almost feel like maybe not in this case, but I feel like in some cases is almost also a little bit unfair because I, I don't know that given all of the things from last year, and a pretty short off season that you could really expect a coach to completely rejig a team based on that. Um, that being said, I feel like Jopstam was given all the resources as every coach has been basically to just go out and pick up whoever they want. And I feel like he's brought in some good players and Cincinnati has looked a little bit better at times. I mean, they look better under him than they've ever looked. That's just 
only marginally better than they've ever looked. Um, so I can't say I'm, I'm overly surprised or, or feel like, you know, he's been hard done by as a coach. I think he had hit every opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think maybe that is happening a little bit, but I, I don't feel like it's out of, like, it's not unfair in this uh, case. Great. Uh, that is one... Like, I guess you kind of get this in, in North American Sports League sometimes when you um, when you have such an issue when when because there's a no when you promotion. have such an issue of not winning games. Of not winning games. <laughs> when there's no promotion or relegation, if the issue is is a is an internal one, then you're pretty much just gonna have to bang your head against the wall until that changes. And there was. I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking for. There was a very good piece. I want to say, in SI, that was about the, the sort of like the issues with, where was it, um, the issues with the team president, that they've had over the course of the time, the, mm-hmm. the one quote. Yes, there was. A, it was a piece in ESPN by Jeff Carlisle, who had some negative things to say about some of the decisions made by team president Jeff Birding, who is by all means like one of the described in the story as like one of the things who one of the people who who helped turn that team into an MLS team. Like you know, the, mm-hmm. organizationally, the local force that 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 that, that team wouldn't be there without, but. You know, in terms of being a soccer technical executive, has been you know one uh, in the in the piece one one MLS executive is quoted as saying, in terms of the soccer business, birding is pretty clueless. Well, and they promising. They continue to you know um, the the big thing that everybody the the quote everybody is dunking on is that like you know the the, the it has a corporate culture of like. Work people really hard and underpay in the front office, um, and that people are always like looking over their shoulder about what somebody was saying or doing. Uh, suggest one source. You know, uh, you're. How can you insulate yourself and have your that trust that you know we we can we can make it through this together? If there's if you're always looking over your shoulder, was one of the things the source said. And then the 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 dunk on quote was. I Birding not only defended the organization's culture, but made no apologies for anyone who didn't last until the club's entry into MLS. Quote, I just led a group to the top of Everest, and some people didn't make it to the top, he told ESPN. And some people probably have some remorse that we didn't slow down, so they could also make it to the top of Everest. And at the end of the day, we didn't have the time to slow down, so we just kept climbing. Did I push and prod that group to the summit? Yes, I did. And I think that we're at a great place now to be enormously successful with new GM Chris Albright. It's just like... That summit being consistently the worst team in MLS. That was a recent quote. That wasn't yeah. a season one quote. No, no, I understand. <laughs> that was on Wednesday. We've made it to Everest. Which is, uh, by the way, currently now officially eliminated from playoff contention with only... Uh, 20 points. There's a... Maybe it's an inverted Everest. 
There's a strong only I can save it feeling to that. Yeah. You know? Like, just... Just like, and I, I, I want to try and, and and have that balance of like, like the reason why he's in that position is because he helped that club exist, but also, <laughs> uh, now what's, hap- also what's working is pe- not happening. Yeah, and, and there's also just some people that are never gonna look at themselves and they're never gonna see the issue because they just don't understand that something like workplace culture can actually affect your performance on the pitch and is like an important piece of building a successful club like uh i mean we assume that people in positions of power and responsibility like do have some experience or clue and often (laughs) all they have is money and uh and it shows sometimes because God knows what the like coherent strategy for FC Cincinnati is. I, I don't know what it is they're aiming to do. Um, and I've yet to hear any concrete plan of, of what Cincinnati's ambitions are outside of just success. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, this is one of the things that we talk about with the Whitecaps all the time too, is just, just, how do you when you get to the point where you are firing your coaches all the time because you're bad how do you build up consistency in any way because you mm-hmm. you simultaneously with the thing that you need you obviously need to change something because what has been happening hasn't been working but at the same time you need to not just be awful all the time Cincinnati has great players and that's the thing, right? Is it's like it's not like they haven't spent money or had the resources. Yes, their first season in MLS, I think they drastically underspent, but I still felt like they had a very serviceable squad. Like they've always had a pretty decent squad of players. It it just seems like that group of players has never been given instructions to the game they're about to play. <laughs> you know? Um while we're on this vein, Raphael Wicke also uh, was not fired, but uh, Chicago parted ways with him in a, a sort of drawn-out goodbye, I feel. I think it was fairly obvious that uh, Wicke wouldn't be staying with the team. Um, he obviously had the absence from the club earlier in the summer um, to deal with some, some family things back home in Europe. So it's it's just sort of like an unfortunate end to the whole thing. I, I liked what wiki brought to chicago but obviously it it never really all clicked into place at the same time and i I mean this as no fault to him but just i think it obviously is distracting to the club when your your head coach is is absent for a big chunk of time and there's uncertainty around the club um i don't think that helps confidence on the pitch at all um Anyway, a few days later, the fire rebranded again with a new C-shaped logo. So I think we things had, are really going to be on the up and up now. We had heard about this rebranding. We had heard, we had seen, I think, I I don't know if it was a leak, but I had seen that logo before. Um, I feel and, like it was leaked like a day after the last logo rebrand came out. <laughs> and they're like, don't worry, it's just our temporary rebrand. We got another real one in the works that's coming uh, later. This one is better. Um, it's still like, I mean, like, if you think that literally everything coming from Chicago needs to be sky blue with a red star, it's this del- this uh, this delivers that for you. And I think that the use of like the fire 
you know, whatever you call that for the four pointed cross, I think is, is better in terms of being something that people would associate more. Um, so challenging right now to think of like, as people are making like everything seem as like simplistic as possible or whatever for a quote unquote global football audience, uh, what people would have preferred with this, but it, it's just, it is a lot, let's just call it this, a lot of work to get to the place that it ended up being. Yeah, which is like a, a completely fine, terribly bland, predictable, like, okay logo that is just completely inoffensive. <laughs> you know, like, it looks very much like, ah, yes, yeah, sports team. This instantly recognizable sports team that probably starts with a C. Uh, we've already done that rant about rebrands. We don't need to rehash it. Uh, sure. I just sort of, I'm going to keep just shrugging and being like, every time Chicago changes their logo, be like, okay, great. <laughs> Love it. Let's, let's keep it this time. The, um, uh, did you also catch this little bit of news? We're not going to delve too much into every MLS, uh, goings on but phil neville's been blasting out at the league saying that there needs to be an investigation into why inter miami are losing we're all looking for the guy who did this i can't even (laughs) i can't even read the actual headline without laughing because it's just it's like we need a full investigation into why we're so shit um we're looking Real. we're looking into all possible corners but essentially his argument is that it, their their most recent loss um was as a result of a terribly missed call for Iguain um scoring and then the the call the goal coming back because it was offside so I was like all right, all right whatever and I go and look at it I'm just like it's just so clearly not unquestionably offside and i'm like all right as suspected not that i really needed to verify it but i do try to have some due diligence before i sound off phil neville you don't need a league investigation call me i can tell you why your team sucks and it's not to do with bad calls it's just like saying it's just like saying uh there's no way there's no way we can be bad we've got higuain yeah, yeah, like, the answer can't just be that we're bad at soccer, or I don't know how to coach a team to defend, or I don't know how to set up a proper formation in MLS, <laughs> um, or I get caught out in transition too often and my players don't seem ready for it, or we don't seem to have a consistent marking strategy, or shall I go on? <laughs> well. I love it. I'm so excited to learn if MLS will take up this call for an investigation and I just would love to know what they find. One thing that's kind of uh, meriting of investigation is that uh, Felipe Hernandez from Sporting Kansas City got a got a suspension for betting on t- betting on league games. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Hmm. You can't do anything fun anymore. But definitely Oopsie. not that. Definitely still not that. Well, to kick off some of the games that we're going to talk about, do you want to go to our beloved, cherished Whitecaps since we can start with happier times? Oh, yeah. Let's start really happy like that really uh, great game last night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of thought we could go back a little bit, but... (laughs) Okay, you want to start at the... That's true. There There were... It's been an interesting time for the Whitecaps because 
um, you know, you you can see this is, you know, this was uh, this was a pretty frustrating loss away to Seattle that that just took place on uh, on Saturday, um, but it's the for being a team that you know looked pretty helpless at the time that the 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 coach was fired, um, doing not doing terrible. Not doing terrible. There have been some. There's been some some good results, especially uh, especially this home match against um, Sam. Take your 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 trophy lap, your victory lap. Which so and, and right I should just Ryan clarify White. too. Um, this <laughs> just 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 noticed this looking at the three results altogether. Okay. Um, the common thread is Ryan were... White has been having a good time. Um, because he scored all goals in all of those matches for Vancouver. Yeah, I think I think we both we get to co-share this award because you were, he was first on your radar at, at Red Bulls. Um, I'll I'll share this quite happily, but yes, I'm very very pleased with myself right now. <laughs> of course, I wildly predicted exactly this. No, but I mean. The the win against Dallas was was a good one, um, not a, a great game, um, but it's a really excellent goal from Brian White, and I would say that was sort of like an overall kind of like B performance from the Whitecaps. Um, you know, some definite defensive improvements. Um, Dallas, I I was really surprised that Dallas just seemed to have no idea what to do to kind of break through the Vancouver lines. Um, uh, Gaspar continues to be a question mark for me about where he fits in with the Whitecaps um, and uh, you know giving up a PK in the dying seconds is is a thing that we seem to <laughs> we seem to be prone to do but I, I thought it was a, a fair call um, and then obviously a huge save and my note from that game was I don't think it's all on Patrick Metcalf but I think coaches need to be more, much more critical of who they are subbing in and when, and that will maybe come out and be relevant later. And that Crepo, let's let's not gloss over that penalty save. That was a huge, huge, huge moment in extra time. Monster, monster, monster stop from Maxime Crepo, who's just playing the soccer of his life right now for the White Caps, and I, I really feel like. You know, for as much as you could credit uh, Brian White on one end for doing the things that need to get done, um, Maxime Kerpro on the other is just carrying the team on his back at points. Um, some of these, some of those games um, where the Whitecaps have have benefited from a lot of goals, you still have like you know one silly goal against or something, and mm-hmm. and you know it's. It's sad that the team couldn't do that for for Cripo, and it feels like in that one, Cripo was just really determined to have that not happen. Yeah, which like thank God someone was, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's probably three or four Whitecaps games this season that you know, if not for a late goal, there's maybe a draw there for the Whitecaps or even a win, um, or but where we end up drawing or losing. So. It, it, really really critical saves and you just see like confidence just confidence flowing through his veins he seems entirely comfortable with what he's going to do on each play um so yeah things things have been promising there and then as you mentioned we had a great game against san jose um which this one was sort of like outside of a few half chances i mean they uh, san jose looked completely unable to play their 
attacking game. And and then they, they made a whole bunch of subs, but too late. And uh, Brian White was able to just bang them in for people a were, 3 nothing win. People were really feeling, like, just just euphoric after this, it felt like. Like, not only do the Whitecaps win, but we have a player that we we know and we really like that's, that's you know, who, who seems at the moment that he can do no wrong. Yeah, and... And and really, you know, despite a kind of dry spell a, a little bit after he initially came to the team, really is in a, a nice little run of form. And um, the hat trick seemed to carry over the energy because despite an abysmal start in Seattle, we did come away with one goal to Seattle's four. That's again, true. from Brian White, who in, I believe now is in the top seven uh, goal scorers for the Whitecaps. And... I think might be fifth for all-time goals scored in a single season for a white cap. I think that's right. Uh, yeah, and it's just like, like I think we said yesterday, is it, or yesterday, the last time we talked, that it was, you know, that this is not a player that you would have thought of at the beginning of it as being somebody who, um, like, is, is going to be your protagonist player, but but now has just ended up on the... The he's just ended up on the the uh, the list of like I guess very memorable Whitecap scorers from a very short amount of a, a couple of performances in a short amount of time. Well, yeah, I mean, already within one season to sort of be on the same level as a a Pedro Morales type, like a, a ten do- ten goal a year goal scorer is a very valuable thing in MLS. Um, and, and certainly other MLS clubs might have higher ambitions for only, you know, in terms of your, your goal scoring output in the top five, but it it is significant. And I think it, it does show the growth that the club has had and, and what an important signing Brian White has been, because if, I mean, I think there's a good chance he's going to be with the team for a little bit now. But if, you know, if he had a slump next season, I'd still say, like, you really got your money's worth out of Brian White at this point. If he never scored another goal, which doesn't seem likely. I think that, Um, like, one of the things that that makes, as opposed to sort of like Octavio Rivero, who started hot and then cooled off huge is Mm -hmm. that some of these are still team movements, you know, like great crosses from Ryan Gold. That first one was the first of the three goals in the San Jose game was a, um, like a multi-person effort where, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you could say that it's from Owusu winning the battle on the attacking path and and, it's setting the run up. Is it, uh, white himself making the assist, the assist on a a shot to Gold, Uh, and then that rebound coming to him. His positioning has been great, and I think that that is something that stays with you a little bit more than that, that, that can be hurt. That's not always hurt as much uh, by form, but it's like he was. Yeah, that's a good point. In that goal, he was in the right place at the right time to take advantage of the rebound. And in goal against Seattle, it was another just being at the right place at the right time. And that is something that the Whitecaps have felt like they have been missing. That there are. That there are opportunities where the chance comes and goes and thinks, oh, well, the run was great, but if only we could have, if only somebody was on the end of that, if only we could have gotten the finish. Yeah, it, it really is like, you know, placing the the little 
person in the spot where we've just used to thrash balls across the front of goal and there'd be no one there. And it's like now there's Brian White lurking in that spot. And I mean, it's interesting because, of course, maybe not super fairly, but we definitely talked about it is comparing Lucas Cavallini with Brian White. One of the things that I thought was interesting about signing Lucas Cavallini for such a a huge amount and going after him so aggressively was that I think he's only scored over 10 goals in one season once in his career. But, like, he's not a guy that bags double digits every season. And so I kind of had a question mark about what necessarily makes us think he's going to score more goals in MLS because that's a huge price tag for somebody that you're expecting to score like maybe eight or nine goals a season Mm. based off his past performances. I mean, Cavallini's age is good and you would certainly expect him to to be able to continue to grow and maybe not in his prime yet. Um, I think in a perfect world, it's sort of like, why choose? <laughs> you have Cavallini and Brian White play together. I think right. they, we've seen them play well together. We've seen them provide. I think Dahomey is a little bit more effective as a striker than as a wide player, but I don't think it hurts to have him out on the wing. So I, I, I'm I, still sort of like letting the what to do with Lucas Cavallini pot on the stove just sort of simmer on the back burner. <laughs> I don't want to jump to too many conclusions, but the the question marks sort of continue to be piling up about just what does all of this mean moving forward for the club? Um, But we do also have to talk about the negative, and that is this game against Seattle. Yeah. I was going to say, the one thing I was going to say is that he had been uh, in... Uh, in in 2018, 2018-19 for uh, for Pueblo, he had been a ten goal a season scorer at that point. Yes, when just. playing a, when playing a whole when playing a whole campaign. Um, I'm still I am still really hopeful that there's that there's something good coming from him. I I think that one of the challenges a little bit when it comes to him is no not necessarily the challenge with him. I think we have seen um, in num- numerous occasions for Toronto FC um, get the formula of a, a Canadian with a great reputation in another team mm. sign him profit. No other changes needed. You know what I mean? I think that that's that, and, and it's not to say that their their the talent was overvalued when they were overseas or in another league or or whatever. It's just that I think that sometimes because there's a hunger for stars and and for Canadian stars, that if you you can overhope a little bit or 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 at the very least just say like okay, so we have somebody who's got a good name for himself. We're gonna bring him in and mm-hmm. and that's going to be great for us and we don't have to and without thinking like well how did they get to be that way what was the environment that set them up for success exactly yeah i i agree i think players are bought sometimes with a a little bit of naivety around what exactly goes into to getting the best performance out of them as a total sort of system um you know i think my feeling with this game against Seattle is that 
Sartini probably did the most pragmatic thing, which was rotate the squad enough to make it look like he's putting out a competitive side, but really sort of phoning this one in with his player choice and hoping for like, hey, I don't know, maybe playing Metcalf as a starting center back in a back three against Seattle is going to go well. Like, I don't think that's the way you set up a young player for success. And it turns out maybe it wasn't. But I feel like the the thinking in this game just had to have been, unless it was uh, player availability, was just a, we're not probably getting points out of this one. So give some players some much-needed minutes and just see what we can do. Um, which is sort of evidenced by the giving up two goals in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> Well, if you look at the if you look at the eleven, I think the one issue is something that you had talked about a lot, which was three at the back, um, and unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be negative on Patrick Metcalf, but I think that uh, for for example, Thomas Hassall is mm-hmm. a player where the team thinks um, we're going to really lean on them the same way that we would lean on our starter and. Um, and we are prepared for that to go to like maybe not as well as we would want it to. Yeah. Um, but we just we want that player to get the experience, and so that's how we're going to treat it, right? Like, like that's the that that's the method for him, and I think that he can that he's been able to handle that. Patrick Metcalf, I do not think has been able to do that. Not to say that he can't play, but to be the sole center back was a little beyond him, I think, in this game. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't think that that's even a knock against him. Again, I, I don't think that that's a, the right position to play him, and I don't think it's the right game to play him in that position. Um, you know, it's five minutes in on a corner kick. You see Metcalf originally marking Shane O'Neill until O'Neill makes his run, and Metcalf is facing the ball, and O'Neill's just able to run off his shoulder and score. And it's, you know... It's not the most egregious defending error you'll ever see because all whitecaps are facing the ball and nobody's actually looking at the player they're marking, which is how the players are able to run in. But it's also a very preventable thing to put a little bit of pressure on that ball. But in the bigger picture, I also think if the Vancouver Whitecaps put out their absolute best starting 11 in this game, maybe it's 2-1, maybe 1-1. But I feel like if you're playing this game 10 times with our strongest squad we probably still lose nine times and i still think that's maybe part of the decision making because sartini can take the hit i think i mean i i think he's interested in the job but i think he's also he has no illusions about what he is being asked to do which is see the team through get try to get them into the playoffs and i think he saw this game as happening happening at a congested time seattle's on a run you've got to save some players for for critical games and and save your starting 11 for the games you can win that seems to be his approach and I, and I don't hate that <laughs> um i just hated having to watch the highlights to this game montreal has had an interesting little stretch of uh, of of play with the um you know you had uh, a pretty lopsided home result, which is pretty unfortunate against New England. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a pretty <clears throat> not not so great performance. Um, 
No Montreal collapse is complete without a Rudy Camacho own goal or red card. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Part of this is just I don't. I just don't think I really love his personality. Um, but he just seems like such a defensive liability. I mean, I get what he's trying to do on this play, um, but it's just it's one of those things where it's like if he just gets out of the way, the goalkeeper saves it. But because he lunges in and because he's not got his feet placed in the right way, he ends up directing it to his own goal. Um, but this is, it's just Montreal trying to play out of the back is not a thing of beauty. <laughs> it didn't go so well in this one. Um, most importantly for this one, for New England, was Gustavo Bo got his first goal since August. Um, and outside of one lone Montreal goal, it was just New England looking like they were playing a USL slot side, really. Yeah, it was uh, the the three Bs books a bow and buy, uh, <laughs> combining for a lot of the, the the stuff, including the the first goal by crosses it headed to the far post man whose shot is blocked but not cleared, and then New England uh, scores its first. That was that was Jones scoring it, but it was uh, but it was the setup um, from by the you felt with that and with the cross to Buxa for the second goal that especially in that early going that that. Montreal's defenders were just not challenging New England. Yeah, and and we've we've talked about this a number of times where they just seem to allow players a ton of space and just really back off of challenges and yeah, against a team like New England, it it, it has some some bad results. Um, um prior to this game they played Columbus and um uh it was sort of a, a kind of similar thing. Uh, they didn't get beat quite so badly, but Columbus was able to take all three points. And Montreal just look looking like really, really narrow. Like if uh, there's times in a Montreal game where you can look and they've got virtually no one on the wings. It's this cluster of players all crowded around like the exact center of the pitch. And it, it just makes it so easy for players to get around and find spaces and you end up with this clump of players in the box that are all kind of standing in formation, but it's unclear what it is they're standing around to do. <laughs> um, Kyoto was able to grab that one. For me, that's the the high point for Montreal right now is uh, Kyoto has sort of come good and is really developing well for them. Which really paid off in the Atlanta game where they, <laughs> where they beat Atlanta 2-1 at home. Yeah. And... I mean, I think this is a big result. Atlanta certainly have, has been kind of finding some of their, their old winning ways again recently, but I still sort of feel like Montreal's issue is that they seem to consistently struggle against getting past opponents that are higher than them in the table. So yes, it's a good result, but it feels like if Montreal is going to make the playoffs, they're going to get knocked out really, really quick because... Like, Atlanta are the only real contender for that final playoff spot right now. And it, it's a good performance. Great two goals from Kyoto. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I'm not feeling super confident on Montreal's stock this season. Well, see see if they can get in. Because I think that, like, I think in much the same way as the the Caps got ripped apart, they got ripped apart by New England. But they've been able to take the game to... When you look at the fact that no one else other than New England is at 50 points right now, mm -hmm. um, they've been able to take the points to the teams around them. I think that... And and New England isn't in that first round. 
So sure. yeah, it's true. You look at the idea, you know, if if things shift around a little bit and they they play Orlando or they play Philadelphia, I yeah, on their on their night, yeah, you got a good point. Um, you got a good point. I think that the the East, the East is 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 a, an open ground for that. I think it would be a different situation if they were in the Western Conference. Because for sure, yeah, because that's kind of the Vancouver thing. It's like you know, Vancouver. Vancouver's going to play Kansas City next weekend, and it's like, well, if Vancouver makes it to that final spot, who do they then play? Kansas City? <laughs> do they play, you know, uh, another team that a team that has given them a lot of trouble? Um, the and I think that they're, I think that the teams in the East are a little bit more uh, a little bit more vulnerable in that way. Um, yeah, I I agree. Toronto has been that. Uh, putting some results together uh still very much not going to be in contention for the uh they're certainly not going to be making it into that final spot but the um but they had had some interesting ones they beat um Cincinnati yeah they had a an, an okay performance i mean it sort of turned the ship around a little bit it's not a great defensive performance but <laughs> it is nice to beat the only team below you in the table um and, yeah, I feel like Toronto right now is just sending everyone forward to attack. Um, this is how they get caught out and aren't able to stop uh, Matarita making it one nothing. Um, but then Soteldo and Schaffelberg have combined really well, um, and not for the first time, but in this game they're able to break break out together and connect, and then Schaffelberg puts it away. Um, and then Marky Delgado has a, a great score from the near post to make it 2-1. I, I mean... Overall, I, I felt like the momentum was with Toronto in this one, and you really just sort of felt like they were pushing. <laughs> just like, okay, we know, we do know that we have to win this one. <laughs> yes, but we, we we do have to connect the dots and make this one work. If we do nothing else this season, we got to win this game. Yeah, we don't. It's so important to not be the last one and <laughs> to not be the full the full wooden spoon. Um, and then they, they, they came back around as well and had, I felt that, you know, in the Cincinnati game, obviously there was a lot of attention paid to Jacob Schaffelberg. Um, again, I think, uh, even though he didn't have any of the, the goals himself, I felt that he was, uh, central to discussion, including with the assist on that first goal against Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and despite Barrich opening the scoring early, we've seen this with TFC. Is sometimes you just got to knock in a goal against them to get them started. <laughs> um, but then Toronto is able to score three goals unanswered, um, and um, this all right. This is also coming after uh, there was a P call, uh, a penalty penalty call for a handball shout, um, and Soteldo takes it and just scuffs it right at the keeper. And it sort of looks like, oh, no, Toronto's going to have, like, a real TFC game about this. Um, but they're able to to sort of stick together and make it happen with Delgado dribbling through. Um, and it's not a great shot, but it takes a deflection to tie it. And it's sort of like, I feel like they all look at each other at the same time and are like, oh, perhaps. Yeah, marked out. <laughs> dare to, dare there, to dream. That Did you think, oh, maybe it's a possibility. I also think, you know, leading to that sense of doom is the fact that the the first goal by Robert Barrick uh, from Chicago is just like totally bounces right over, like totally deflected by Michael Bradley, 
yeah. on a slide tackle, and it's just like, oop, that was me. It's not yeah. a, it wasn't an own goal, but it was like, I basically caused that to happen. Um, but you're right, eventually, even in Soteldo gets his goal on an assist for Jonathan Osorio. Yeah, and I mean, and Soteldo, obviously, he's been great since coming to Toronto. Um, I, I think the decision-making, he's obviously obviously still a young player. It's not always there, but the, the positives certainly outweigh the negatives, and, and certainly he's in contention for MVP talks. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the the only thing that takes some of the sheen off of all of this, and you can tell me if you think it's a problem or not, is that seems like TFC's better results have come from the absence of a certain Pozuelo starting. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how Toronto fans feel about that. But, you know, after such a strong start with the team, Pozuelo just has really fallen off um, in the production part. And without him starting, it really feels like they're able to plug that midfield hold and, uh, hole and get more going forward. Um they put in a strong performance against Colorado as well. Um, maybe not the best game of soccer you'll ever see, but a nil-nil draw with Colorado, given Colorado's form and how little these two teams meet. I thought it was a, a huge, just like huge performance from TFC to come away with a point from Colorado, who also just meet, beat Minnesota today. Um, any other notable MLS uh, results you're thinking of? The um, there had been the uh, uh, Orlando game with a 97-minute uh, winner from uh, Daryl DK against DC after Gressel had scored a great goal from the top of the box um, to give DC the early lead. Yeah, the um, I think the only other thing really capturing my attention um, that we hadn't talked about was the, the Campiones Cup. Columbus uh, faced off against Cruz Azul and won it all 2-0 and was able to stick a trophy in their trophy case this season. So despite the fact that Columbus is 10th uh, in the East, they are trophy winners this season again as Caleb Porter's side was able, able to, I thought, put on a really strong performance against Cruz Azul and Cruz Azul was out to win this thing. Like, they... They wanted to win, and it was just not going to happen for them. It was is really professional performance from Columbus, um, and and great to see them get a little glimmer of of something positive this season. Big result. That uh, I mean, trophy. It's it 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 is a it it is a super cup. But I guess we'll we'll give it to them. We'll give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> It's just how strange is it to beat a Mexic to beat a Mexican team like Cruz Azul. Two nothing, and then turn around and lose three nothing to, to Philadelphia. It's been it's been challenging, but it'll hopefully hopefully that will will serve a little bit their confidence. I hope so. Yeah, and that I mean, obviously other results around MLS, uh, but I think we'll kind of get caught up next time with that. Um, the other thing I want to say: national team stuff to talk about. Orlando also got a, a stoppage time equalizer the week before so they had two two weeks in a row of having that that's right oh, yeah. I, and the one thing I did want to ask you about uh, you watched El Trafico I I caught the goals from that uh, good fun boring 
Um, I would say hardly a classic. Pretty cagey. I would say overall like a just very conservative lineup from both coaches. Um, I think Vanny knew that given the defensive blunders that they've had, they need, needed to really lock it down and be careful going forward. And I feel like Bob Bradley did exactly the same thing. So, uh, yeah, this was like one of the few games I saw all of, and it, it was not a barn burner. Um, <laughs> a 1-1 result there. Um, so, yeah, well, things have been... Uh, things have been trucking along with CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Um, it was quite the, uh, the interesting game there uh, against Mexico with... Uh, this is one of those ones where I think that people things have been really good for Canada. I I'm always trying to keep a level head with these situations when 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 Canada was able to to score just before halftime, um, and people were like, "Oh man, Canada dominated that half." I was like, "You can't lose your head over having a decent tie performance in the first half of a game in Mexico." You can't. You can't. Everyone does it. Everyone gets to that point and then says, hmm, maybe we'll have something here. Um, so I was really worried about, like, trying to pronounce Canada as, like, a big player in that match because I felt that, you know, yeah, in that first half, before John, the, the goal from Osorio, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Canada had some opportunities that they didn't quite have some finish on, but I was just thinking that there were also some you know, some, some challenging situations. The Oh yeah. Yeah. To be sure. The but second half was much like, better. It was, but I, I think like, yeah, the, the, tr- the real achievement is hanging on to the result because as you say, like it's not the first time a team has gone up one, nothing or, or scored a goal and been level with Mexico uh, at the half. Um, definitely a, a, a team that can still hurt you late in the game. Um, but what we've seen is is that, you know, we've gotten overloaded at times, and it's like we can hang on for 60, 70 minutes in the past, but that that's kind of it, and those last 20 minutes get pretty hairy. Um, so I, I thought that was great. And then, you know, I was thinking about this, and then my initial thoughts on the game and notes, I was sort of like, I, I think, you know, Davies and Larea really showed their abilities, but also their, their youth and, and how much room they still have to grow in just finishing their chances and and staying with their runner. Um, Larea had a couple of iffy defensive moments. And then I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> this is the age of Canadian soccer we live in now, where we've got basically kids as our starting defenders who occasionally make a mistake or two. Which is... and, that's, and that's our big issue right now. But overall, <laughs> the product still means that we're able to compete uh, against big clubs. At a high um, level at a high level and consistently and somebody brought up I forget who it was I saw it on Twitter whoever you are I sorry I didn't attribute it this properly but like think of another World Cup qualifying team that has been unbeaten in 10 games yeah you know <laughs> like uh, and I say that with a big gulp in my throat because it's nil-nil at the half with Jamaica currently <laughs> as we're recording so I'm like the good, I really the, really the don't want to jinx this the good news that but. is that you know is that Mexico does not drop points at home very often. Um, yeah, they uh, so we that would that's a big success. And luckily, some of the teams that we are competing against 
um, as we try to hold on to that third automatic spot, which I think would would hopefully at this point be the goal or, or something to look at. Um, Honduras and Costa Rica both tied, and El Salvador beat Pam- Panama, who was closer to the closer to uh, to us in the table than El Sal was. Um, so I don't think at that point um, that the draw really hurts Canada. You want to think that you know they can get points against um, against Jamaica and against Panama at home. Uh, because that'll be the that'll that'll eventually you have to it's it's okay to draw while everyone else is drawing, but then when the 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 final results are all being tallied up, they'll people will look at okay, well, what did you get at, at Jamaica away? You know what I mean? Like 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 yeah yeah. What did you absolutely. get with Panama at home? And and it'll be less who drew and who didn't in each successive match week and. How well did you perform with the same challenge of being home or away as as the as the teams you're competing against? Absolutely. <clears throat> and so far, you know, the the pendulum is swinging in Canada's favor. I think the only other team on uh, as positive of a run is the USA right now. Um and you know, in Mexico as well, but Mexico has looked shaky, you know. I wouldn't call this their strongest uh, squad ever. Um, certainly brimming with talent and possibilities, but it's sort of like the, it's almost scary how much things are like conspiring to go well right now. (laughs) Like it's all, it's all going according to plan. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Until we uh, learn more about that, where can we find you on the line? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram uh, at That's So MLS. You can also find this podcast uh, at That's So MLS.com and on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you find podcasts. Where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Um, and, uh, and October 15th at uh, Canada Game Stadium for UAB Reds soccer action, where I will be singing Hell announcing. Yeah. Um, until next week, don't get sent off or yellow card accumulation suspension. Or there might, or you need to call for a league-wide investigation about it. (laughs) Excellent. That was great. Yeah.